I spoke yesterday, perhaps too much, about war. But my intention was to see how God approaches his enemies and, how, and what he's trying to accomplish in the battle against evil. Very unlike what we try to do when we get into battles, we try to destroy our enemies. Well, in today's readings, we once again reflect on the battle between David and his son Absalom. And then in the Gospel, we reflect on Jesus' battle, not against evil spirits this time, but against sickness and death. Let's start with David. In yesterday's reading, David was on the, on the losing end. He was fleeing the city of Jerusalem. Absalom was gaining the upper hand. But in this reading, Absalom is defeated. He's killed in a humiliating way, hanging by his with his hair caught in a tree. And we hear about David's reaction to learning about the death of Absalom. David is heartbroken that his son is dead. Now, maybe that's true of anybody who loses a loved one, or especially a parent losing a child. But Absalom was a rebel, and he was trying to kill his father and take over his kingdom. So in the mind of the soldiers, and in the natural human way of thinking, Absalom had to be killed because he was the enemy. But David, revealing in some ways the heart of God, shows that there's a difference between fighting against evil, stopping rebellion, and, and fighting and destroying the person who rebels. And this is very important for us because we tend to equate sin and sinners, and God never does that. He hates sin, he fights sin, he defeats sin, but he does not hate sinners, he does not destroy them. He has, he has every intention to save them. And what David wanted to do in the battle against Absalom was stop the rebellion, but he gave explicit instructions to his army not to harm his son. Well, they violated the instructions and David is heartbroken. One of the poignant lines here, as we hear David pouring out his, his grief, my son, my son, Absalom. He says this, if only I had died instead of you, Absalom, my son, my son. If only I had died instead of you. <clears throat> this reveals the heart of David. It's, it's the heart of a father. And I think a lot of parents experience this when they see their children suffering. In fact, any parent, any good parent, would say, I would rather suffer than have my children suffer. I would rather take their place. But it can't be done. And in this case, David has to accept his son died and he did it. But that idea that I would sacrifice myself for my son is, again, a revelation of the heart of God for us, his people. What happens when Jesus comes? He's the son of the Father. He sacrifices, he offers himself in sacrifice for sinners. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved 
through him, through his redemptive sacrifice. So we see in David here a, 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 a little glimpse of the heart of God. And it's very moving to us. We who are sinners, we who are on the wrong side of justice and who tend to fear the punishment of God, this kind of reading should tell us, no, no, don't be afraid of God. Don't be afraid of, of, uh, of being a sinner in the presence of God because God, yes, he will oppose sin and very strongly because he hates sin and he hates how sin harms his children. But he does not hate us and he does not hate sinners and he's not out to destroy sinners. So this should be very consoling to us. Now in the Gospel, we see Jesus coming for sinners. He has just uh, had this experience of encountering that man possessed with thousands of demons that was over on the other side of the lake. But he comes back over to the Jewish side uh, and then and many people are gathered. He wants to continue his ministry. It's, it's interesting that in yesterday's reading, the demons pleaded to be allowed to stay there, remember? Let us go into the swine, and Jesus said, okay, if that's what you want, stay where it stay here. But the, but the people pleaded with Jesus to go away. So the demons got to stay, and Jesus is the one who had to leave. Anyway, he comes to the other side, and uh, Jairus, the official of the synagogue, approaches him with this, again, a poignant plea for his daughter. So we think of David pleading for his son and Jairus pleading for his daughter. In this case, the daughter is not a, a rebel. She's just a little girl. She's 12 years old. She's at the point of death. Please, please come and, and save her. And Jesus gets up to go to save her. Then we have this encounter with the woman who's been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. The whole lifetime of the little girl, this woman has been bleeding. You know the story. She sneaks up behind Jesus and touches his cloak, and she's instantly cured. Now, that is what she wanted, to be cured. She got what she, what she wanted. But God didn't get what he wanted. Jesus didn't get what he wanted. It wasn't, it wasn't enough for Jesus to simply cure the woman and keep going. And so he stops. Okay, who, who touched me? Who was cured? You see what he's trying to do here is go beyond the physical cure because Jesus didn't come into the world simply to cure people's illnesses. He did do that, but it was as a sign of his saving mission. So he wants to save this woman. He doesn't simply want to stop her, her suffering. And, and uh, so he says, who is it, who is it? The woman feels obliged to come up and with great fear confess as if she's a thief and she stole a healing from him. Is she going to be punished for being a thief? No. Beautiful what he says to her daughter. Daughter, so now who's the, who's the father figure here? Jesus representing the father. This woman is his daughter, and he loves her. He doesn't hate her for her, her uh, sneaking up behind him. Daughter, your faith has saved you. 
Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. Your faith has saved you. So it's not just touching my garment, but your your trust in me and your and I want you to know me personally. I want you to know me, and I, I want to know that I know you. That's 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 what faith does, right? It establishes us in a living relationship with Jesus, and that's what saves us. So faith isn't just a magical formula. Faith isn't just touching some sacred object. Faith is touching Jesus. Faith is our our connection with Jesus, and Jesus is the one who saves us. So that in itself is a very beautiful revelation of how God is at work for us. How God wants us to know his love for us. Which is what we don't know very often when we're suffering and we're thinking God is not on our side. Well, no, that's that's our, our wrong understanding of what's going on. God is on our side. And he wants us to go in peace. Now, Jairus gets the news that his daughter is dead, and the people say, well, forget it, it's too late now. And Jesus says something even more striking here. Do not be afraid, just have faith. Now, who could say such a thing to a man who just suffered the death of his little girl? Do not be afraid, just have faith. Is it to say, don't worry about it? What what kind of a challenge does that put in Jairus? Well, it doesn't say what Jairus did or how he reacted, but at least he went with Jesus and his uh, three apostles to the house. And everybody's weeping and mourning. And Jesus says something, again, very challenging. This child is not dead, but asleep. Of course they ridiculed him. What, what, is his, what does he know? What does he know? The girl's dead. And that's so inappropriate to go around talking about dead people as if they're alive. But Jesus is not just somebody who comes along and says stupid things. This is God himself in, in, in the flesh who, has, who is bringing the love of the Father and applying it in the situations of our grief and suffering and loss. So he hasn't come, Jesus hasn't come, simply to bring people back to life in this world. This this miracle of the raising of the child is a sign of what he has come to do, a sign of his gift of eternal life. It's an extraordinary sign. He raises the child back to life, from death to life. Little girl, get up, she gets up. This line is... Maybe they say it's much stronger in Greek than it is in English. At that, they were utterly astounded. Utterly astounded is pretty strong in English, but they say in the Greek, it's something like they were, they were, they were like ecstatic. They were like they were almost out of their minds with astonishment. That's how strong it is. There's no way they could possibly grasp. What had happened? Utterly astounded. Well, it is astounding. That's what God wants to know, wants us to know about his love for us. It is utterly astounding about his power. It is utterly astounding about the reason why we don't have to be afraid because God's love for us is utterly astounding. 
Now we have natural fears. We fear suffering, we fear death, we fear uh, you know, violence and injustice. And we're not going to not have fears, but beneath those fears is faith. Do not be afraid, just have faith. Just have faith. Rest, rest your life, your soul on that foundation of faith, not on the level of the emotions that come and go. And then you will be utterly astounded at how, how great the love of God is, how much our Father is concerned about saving us, saving us who rebel against Him, saving us who are sick, saving us who are, who are maybe even dead spiritually. He wants us to have the fullness of life.